from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, April 14, 2017, and it's the Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Hello. The meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Basically, HelloFresh wants to change the way people eat forever. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. They source the freshest ingredients. It's measured to the exact quantities needed so there's no food waste. And they employ a full-time registered dietitian on staff who reviews each recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. And then they deliver it to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. And it is sitting on my desk right now because I just got my delivery. I would like to talk talk about this. Because you know what else I like about HelloFresh is that they don't... um, Like a lot of times when I look up recipes that I get stoked about, they make you use a tool like in the kitchen that you don't have. Right. So like now put everything in your pressure cooker for five minutes. And then spatchcock the thing. How do you do that? (laughs) Right. What is a spatchcock? It is a literal (laughs) process of breaking uh, the bones of a bird and pressing it flat, and that's called very primal. It's very primal. It's our after-hour show. Uh, (laughs) That sounds awful. Oh, it's it's terrible. (laughs) Our friend Shauna taught us about it. Um, But. With uh, HelloFresh, it's all like just use a pan, use a yep. spatula. I like that. Yeah, and they have a classic box, and for you, a veggie box. I know. I really want to try really it. Great. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited because my box came today, and I was telling Cohen on the way to school this morning. I think Daddy's going to be able to make food tonight because last <laughs> night was uh, Chef Boyardee can. So I was going to say the way you described it as if you and Cohen then went to the railroad tracks with an old can of beans yeah. that you cooked over kind like of, a big right. open fire in a kind old barrel. Yeah. I found some freezer-burned green yeah. beans in the back of the freezer and that and yeah. some Chef Boyardee because I was waiting on HelloFresh to show up. Yeah. And I walked in this morning and there it was. I was yeah. like, we're eating tonight, buddy. Yeah, he's like, hey, Cohen, you don't have to scrape out the ham flex in the bean can this time. We got HelloFresh tonight. Yeah. You're getting protein. Your night last night was brought to you by Hello Sadness. Yeah, no, exactly. Right now, HelloFresh is offering relevant podcast listeners a special offer for you can get $30 off your first week of deliveries by visiting HelloFresh.com and entering offer code RELEVANT30 when you subscribe. That's 30 bucks off. You should go do it. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron Strang. Here with me in our Orlando studios, Eddie Big Cat Coffold. Yes, nice to see you. Over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. And on Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And joining us for his residency, I guess we're calling it, I don't know, joining the yeah. cast for the full show and regular intervals throughout the summer, our good friend, Propaganda. Hey, Chandler, you need to have DJ effects. Oh, yeah. propaganda. We're going to find out prepared. if propaganda. We're going to find out if I'm like really just like a one trick pony yeah. <laughs> or like I can really do this. Albeit, even if I am a one trick pony, I'm an incredibly handsome one trick pony. <laughs> you are. Which is a really that good trait for an audio medium. Uh, yeah. after, yes. the, after the last show, the response. I'm also unapologetically black, which I think. <laughs> after, cool. Anyway. Uh, after the response after Prop was on the show a couple weeks ago was so strong. People were like, his. He just brought so much and yeah. a different perspective, and it was so fun having him on. Could he please come on more often? So, you know, we were already were hoping that would happen, and we had we had reached out to him about joining the show. 
um, on a on a regular basis. It can't be every week because he travels and he you know he has a career <laughs> as a hip hop artist. <laughs> um, but uh, as if he's available, he'll he'll join us, and we're excited about it. And and it, it will be interesting to find out if he can uh, you know continue. Is he going to be that one trick pony like he was just saying? Is he going to just keep bringing the same thing? And and we should have ended on a high note, or is he going to be able to like uh, you know step it up every week? We'll For see. Prof- I got a question, man. It's a twofold question. How much pressure do you feel because of the massive response of last night? And did you even sleep last night? (laughs) Well, I did sleep last night. However, I definitely put considerably more thought into what I need to do this time Mm -hmm. than I did last time. (laughs) So there is a there is a there is a bit of like sophomore jinx okay. that I'm like, okay, uh, what do I say this time? I like it. That's, that's yeah. basically how Eddie approaches every week. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Start. We have a great show today. We actually have a lot happening. Uh, we have normally, if you listen to our show, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, kind of a recurring format. We have this, whatever this is. We'll have in case you missed it. Free skate. We'll have, yeah, free skate. Uh, the couple's skate is later. Adult um, swim comes yeah. late in the show. Late we'll night. Have, yeah, that's the outtakes. After dark. Yeah. Right. Uh, we'll have slices. You know, so we have this. We have in case you missed it. Then we have slices. And then we usually have a guest. And then we'll have either a game or, or an artist will join us. And then we have feedback. That's it. Every time. That's great. Uh, this week, changing it up a little bit. We have three guests this week. But on this show, years have never changed it up. This I is know. a big day. This is a big day. Uh, the, the segments are going to be a little bit shorter, but we have a lot of territory to cover. So we, we, we wanted to bring them because like, they're all timely. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, joining us on the show today, N.T. Wright is oh. coming on. I mean, this is Easter weekend oh. that the show is coming out. N.T. Wright's coming on to talk about the crucifixion and Good Friday. So, um, nope. I mean, can't bump him. I was no. going to say, no. and he's like the heaviest hitter, you know? I mean, in terms of like theology. I mean, yeah. It's per- he's talking about the crucifixion on Good Friday. Yeah. So uh, Drew Holcomb is joining us to walk us through his brand new album, Souvenir. Can't bump him. Yeah. No, what are you going to do? New. And this week, big news, obviously, big news. And I don't mean this lightheartedly. I mean, big news coming out of Egypt about the bombings of yeah. the Christian communities there and the persecution that's happening. Specifically, ISIS uh, is now targeting Christians in Egypt. Um, Christian, Kristen Wright of Open Doors is joining us to discuss what's happening there. It feels worth yielding a bit of this time for that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. It was like one of those things like, no, we need to talk about this. When we look back at the end of the year, we're not going to remember whatever dumb thing we were talking about, but we were going to remember like that week yeah. of what was happening. Very in the world, true. You know? So that is probably wise. So there you go. So that's coming up later. So stay tuned for that. Can't wait. Well, because of that, let's just move the show along. I mean, we, we've already done our meet and greet with prop. It's time for our look back at what happened this week in culture and entertainment. It's time for in case you missed it. Um, in case you missed it this week, Louis CK made some controversial, you could say comments about abortion. Uh, the statements appear in his new Netflix standup special and it's literally how he starts the special. It was shocking. Yeah, it actually really was shocking. I was in an editorial meeting and Jesse was, Jesse and Aaron were telling me about it. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I went home and watched it. Yeah. And saw it for myself. They, they butchered the timing, by the way, when they were recapping it for me. But uh, we weren't just, trying to tell the jokes. Uh, we were trying to explain it. You just it. butchered it. 
Okay, anyway, right, here's your a- chance. Here's your chance to redeem our recap. You're going to talk about it here. You recapture yeah. Louis C.K.'s yeah. time. Let's hear it, that's like, saying, that's like saying he was describing a Michael Jordan dunk at the gym in a layup line, and he butchered Michael Jordan's dunk. It's Louis C.K. I can't match his timing. Okay, so the gist of the bit, the gist of the bit that he said was this. Basically, there's only two ways to think about abortion. It's either killing a baby or it's a needed legal right that's morally meaningless. Essentially saying that the idea that uh, that, that phrase that people say, abortion should be legal, safe, and rare is hypocritical. Because he said, if it, why should it be rare if it's legal and meaningless, right? Yeah. So basically, uh, Louis C.K. says <laughs> abortion is, is either not a big deal at all, or it's a huge deal, and there's no middle ground. So discussing abortion protesters, he says, listen, people hate abortion protesters. Oh, they're so shrill and awful and whatever. He goes, they think babies are being murdered. What are they supposed to be like? You know what I mean? They're standing there, you know, passionately objecting to yeah. something that they have a strong belief about. And so then as for his own opinion, he says he's, he's conflicted. He says, I, I, I don't think it's killing a baby. I don't. I mean, it is. It, it is. It's a little bit. It's a little <laughs> bit killing a baby. It's, it's a little bit. It's 100% killing a baby. It is. It's totally <laughs> killing a whole baby. But I... I think that women should be allowed to kill babies. They should be allowed to kill babies. I just think it has to be one or the other. It was crazy, but his line of logic is dead on. Yeah, I was at the gymnasium uh, working on the temple, and <laughs> I like could not believe. So you watch Netflix yeah. real quick. You watch Netflix at the gym. Depends on what I'm doing. You know, if I'm like tossing the medicine ball around with an old guy, no, I'm not going to do that. But if I'm, <laughs> you know, just on the elliptical machine, yeah, I'll I'll watch a little Netflix. Okay, okay. But I was watching it like. He has a, a really incredible way of being wildly offensive, right. but also sort of making a brilliant commentary in yeah. the midst of it. I, I was not sure how I landed other than hearing Cameron recap it just now was pretty crazy to hear. <laughs> like it was like, right. oh, wow, yeah. those are the words he said. Somehow I was kind of <laughs> chuckling through it, but it really shows like the mastery of the delivery. And, right. Because there are very few people who could say those words and and not only get away with it and get laughs, but actually create dialogue like this. Because people on both sides of the debate are, are talking about it, but no one is saying, well, he can't say that. They're saying, well, look, he's comedian he's making an observation and making a joke but he's making a really startling point that no one else really is prop what did you think yeah i actually believe that like comedians specifically in in our time are like the last standing truth sayers to culture like so i i believe that like if you look at uh, what John Stewart was for us, what, uh, you know, John Oliver is and Samantha Beals, like these, these comedians who are like actually lobbying these phenomenal critiques to culture, right? right? What, what, uh, what Chris Rock was and, and, and even in a lot of ways, uh, Cat Williams, like when he oh, yeah. went, you know, in a, in a, in a weird way, but when he was, when he talked about the 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 tiger that uh, that attacked the baby or attacked the kid that that jumped into the tiger uh, compound yeah, thing right. a few yeah. years back, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was like, "Y'all blaming the tiger? Like yeah. it's 
It's a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's, it's supposed a, to do. It's, it's, doing a, its, it's job. a tiger in a zoo. <laughs> like he's like, if you could understand what it means to be a tiger in a zoo, you could understand what it means to be a black man in America, Ooh, right? Snap. So he just lays Oops. out this case as to like, why are you saying the tiger is wrong, right? So I honestly believe that like they are our best social commentators. So whether I think uh, Louis C.K. is right or not is besides the point. I think it's the bigger beauty is mm-hmm. that like comedians are the last truth sayers so that leaves me with something that i've been conflicted about which is all of the with don rickles dying and people paying yeah. tribute to him I'm like okay uh, but that guy was really racist i never know how to like people seem He's to phenomenally like, racist so how how do people I, I feel like i've seen people who i like respect in entertainment paying tribute to him and i thought I don't know that he was doing commentary. I think he was just no, he being yeah. really mean. No, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't think all comedians yeah, yeah. are. I, no, no, I, I think understand. the day and age we're in. I mean, I think like what Dave Chappelle did on SNL the, the day after yeah. the election or the, the yeah. week of the election is significant. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and through laughter, he's exposing things about our culture. And I think comedy today yeah. is serving a different purpose in the national dialogue than back in Don Rickles' day. Appreciate him for their moment. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, in case you missed it, this week, Mr. T, he made the news. Now, that guy is without flaw. I love that guy. <laughs> Mr. T said that his famous catchphrase, I pity the fool, actually came from the Bible. Uh, so he's actually right now a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. Hold on, I'm opening up. Um, hey, hey, whatever you say, Dancing with the Stars, you have to put stars in air quotes. At air this quotes, point. always. I'm opening, up you ver- <laughs> I'm opening up you version to find I yeah. pity the fool. Let me well, it was probably in the Eugene Peterson translation. Yeah. Um, that's Eugene it. Peterson yeah. burn. It's, it's a lot of psalms. Yeah. So he's a contestant and he was recently on Conan and here's, here's what he said. You coined one of the most famous uh, catchphrases in history. I pity the fool. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is I read an article with you once where you said that when you pity the fool, you consider that an, an act of kindness. To oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, didn't I always took it as I pity the fool means I want to kill the guy. No, 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 no. When you pity somebody, you're showing them mercy. Because I didn't start this pity stuff. It was in the Bible. You know, you find pity so many times in the Bible and fool so many times. So I put them together. <laughs> Pity the fool. Uh, that's brilliant. A lot, of, a lot of guys in the Bible was asking for pity. Yeah. You know, and then a lot of them were saying, I did a foolish act. Right. So I put it together. I didn't realize you did all this research oh, yeah. before you came up with, I pity oh, yeah. the fool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Can I just say, too, real quick, that Mr. T has not aged. Like, not whatever, whatever he's done... If you were to put a picture of him on Conan this week or on Dancing with the Stars and one when he was in the A-team when I was yeah. like five years old, I don't know that I could tell the difference. The Abaracus. I'll tell you a little. I don't, I don't do speaking engagements. I've done two in my life, okay? And the only other one than I, recently was back in like 2004, right after Relevant print started mm-hmm. and I was invited up to Willow Creek, their young adults ministry. I think it's called Axiom or something had like 1500, 2000 people. And they were doing a series where they were inviting somebody in, be interviewed. That was like, I don't know, impacting culture in some way or whatever. They're looking at the different types of doing that. Right. And so I, I, I got the opportunity to go up there and I was being interviewed and, um, 
and I was told right before I went on stage that they're excited to have me. I was like, who was it last week? And he goes, Mr. T. What? <laughs> and when I walked out there and it was just me yeah. and they never heard of me and last week was Mr. T. I've never seen so many disappointed faces. Yeah, yeah. Like the caliber kind of plummeted oh, when I yeah, walked out there. I mean, you're there. very good and it's cool and relevant's great, but like I Mr. Mr. T, T was the to follow, who, man. Who wants to follow Mr. T? Yeah, <sighs> nobody. Yeah, they set you up for failure, bro. I know. Yeah. That's not fair. Maybe Face or Hannibal could have pulled it off, but Mr. T is still the best. Do you think when, when Mr. T shows up to those type of... Uh, events he comes in at the very last second speeding in on the van and like when he leaves he just peels out recklessly onto the highway yes definitely walks right up on stage talks for three hours about the gospel walks immediately out hops in the van as people are shooting he didn't even fly in he drove the van there from wherever he he literally floored it almost the entire time like he was going like 145 miles an hour down the highway but he's in the mr t and he's in a van with a machine gun on top so he gets a pass he got he went from la to chicago in four and a half hours in that van it was and every screaming down the highway right <laughs> and every 10th speaking engagement, he wears like a, a different costume so they don't know that it's him. That's what they did on the A-Team. They wore a lot of costumes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. It was the best show. Hey, in case you missed it, Not the, the best uh, reference. MTV Movie and TV Awards has become the second major award show to drop gender-specific categories. Instead of Best Actress and Best Actor, there will only be a Best Actor category, and it will include nominees not based on gender. Back in 2011, the Grammys stopped awarding male and female artists separately. Uh, in case you want to DVR it, the show airs on May 7th. I think that's great. Yeah. Does that mean you have less of a chance of winning? Right. Because there are there's the categories, right? Yeah, but, well, but I, don't you guys think it's weird that they still do it anyway in like a lot of awards? It's like if you are worked at a company and you're like, this is the salesperson of the year for men and for women or whatever, <laughs> whatever the award was. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason to break it up by gender distinction, right? I mean, like, true. Oh, here's the employee of the it's month not like an, for men it's not and like for the women. In, it's not the NBA and the WNBA where the athletic abilities are yeah. physically different. I mean, yeah. A great acting role is a great acting role. I guess we have to go back to like, okay, so why did they divvy it up in the first place? And have we gotten to a place where those distinctions are not necessary? Right. Um, which is might be a testament to really where the Hollywood industry has gotten over gender issues you know um so like was it we had to do a a a best leading role for women because nobody was acknowledging women as like leading roles you know what i'm saying so there was there might have been a necessity at one point you know and then then but once like we've gotten to a place where you could take that scaffolding off then we could be like all right all things are equal now. Yeah. Yeah. Nowhere is the wage gap more more uh, extreme than in Hollywood. Um, what, what were some yeah. of those stats that we run, Jesse, in the magazine where it's like uh, there was a like Jennifer Lawrence or something was in a movie and her co-star got like 20 million and she got two or something. Yeah, it was like an ensemble movie. I yeah. think it was I think that in that case it was American Hustle. And, that's right. That's and right. It was even like some of the the ensemble men in the movie who weren't as a big of a name were making more than her. Yeah, and the real test will be four years from now, ten years from now, the ratio of women to men like winning the actual best actor oh. thing. So if we're like, hey, we did we did away from the gender roles, and then nine out of the ten winners were dudes, then yeah. we're like, all yeah. right. Uh, 
Not sure. Uh, <laughs> not sure we're moving forward here, guys. I'm calling it now. Hashtag Oscar So Dude is going to be a thing. Oscar in, So Dude is going to be a thing in three years. Um, Hey, in case you missed it, SNL this week uh, had a scathing takedown of slacktivism. Uh, and one of their digital shorts was a music video called Thank You, Scott, oh, which man. makes fun of the culture of slacktivism, which is only engaging with important issues on a very surface level, like posting it to your Facebook yeah. page. Uh, the video features a man named Scott, which is played by Louis C.K. You, mm. you don't want to butcher this. Um, <laughs> he's uh, disturbed by the things he sees on the news, but does nothing other than post things on his social media pages in response. Here's here's the song. Racism can't trust the government. Should be barred. Deep mistrust of government. We got so many problems in this world. It seemed like there was no hope things would change. But then one man spoke up. This song goes out to him. Thank you, Scott. Turned on the TV. What did he see? Blood being spilled, war in the Middle East. Refugees seek safety across the sea, but hundreds are drowning, yearning to be free. He couldn't sit by and do nothing. He had to act before it was too late. He shared an article on Facebook, and then everything changed. Thank you, Scott. You saw the problem, Scott. You brought the struggle to an end, Scott. By sharing that article with 84 Facebook friends. Thank you, Scott. It goes on from there. Kind of amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, the irony is people sharing the thank you. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, in case you missed it, this week, uh, an atheist group is uh, trying to stop an SEC football coach from tweeting Bible verses. Hugh Freeze is the head football coach at the University of Mississippi and a frequent tweeter of Bible verses, uh, like pity the fool, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Thank <laughs> and, you, Scott. Uh, well known. Uh, once, well known. Yeah, <laughs> and pastoral quotes. So there's individual account. Now, the Freedom From Religion Foundation is trying to stop him from doing so in a a letter to the school released to the public, they claim that his behavior, quote, creates the appearance that the university endorses Freeze's tweets and the religious promotion therein and asks the school to take, quote, immediate action. Um, however, in their own statement, the first Liberty Institute law firm, which defends religious liberty, is telling Ole Miss to, quote, ignore the letter. So, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, mean, it's from his personal it, it's account. It's his personal account. But, like, you can't... Yeah. First of all, before I get into trouble on this, I think you should be able to tweet what he wants. I'm basically like, yeah. I don't, I, I get it. Right. But like, it's a baby. Yeah. But like, retweets from people, and people write like, you know, tweets are not endorsements or I don't speak for the company. Like, you kind of do. Like, mm. if I went on and said incendiary things, it's not like I would just be on this podcast. Like next Don Rickle stuff. <laughs> right. If <laughs> yeah. I started quoting Don Rickles on right. my tweet, it's not Without like. Without attributing be- it to Don Rickles or right. putting in quotes. <laughs> right. Or <laughs> quoting myself. Right. Here's terribly anti Semitic thing. Yeah. Me, right now. Just said that. <laughs> right. Like, I wouldn't be back here. I wouldn't be at IJM the next day. Like, it does matter. So, like, there is an implied representation hmm. of the organization. And it's the South and they don't care. I mean, they, they're like fine with you know, yeah, church exactly. culture and yeah. stuff, you know. But, yeah. but at the same time, I, I feel like it's creates a slippery slope where, where like I get like you want to have, uh, you, you know, there's the laws in place that, you know, prevent the government from endorsing one religion over the other. I totally get that. But it's a slippery slope. Like when do you start infringing on someone's free speech when they're outside the capacity of a government employee? With Hugh Freeze, if he's uh, you know a football coach at a public university, he is an employee of the state. You know, he's well, a high profile get, one. But we could get an expert on. But this, but the separation of church and state laws were meant to protect 
religion from the government, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah. And so, you know, him as a government employee tweeting Bible verses is freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And there's nothing wrong with that legally if you're talking about church and state issues because it was the other way around. Yeah. Um, and and so. plus, he's, he's not doing it. At, he's not even doing it at the school. He's doing it uh, because uh, my point is this, like, where do you draw the line? If you can't do it on right. Twitter, does that mean I can do it in private conversations? You know? Yeah, because at the end of the day, then that means you, we need to end all social media because all of us have jobs or represent something. So when you speak any sort of opinion, it's a reflection of something else. So if I go, hey, taking my kids to soccer practice. You could be like, oh, you so you you hold to traditional family values mm-hmm. and yeah. you think it's important that oh, well that actually infringes, I believe, in community. You know what I'm saying? Like raising mm-hmm. so I'm like at some at some point, like I don't there's no way to not present a worldview when I open my mouth, you know? Yeah. All right, well that'll uh that'll do it for in case you missed it. Wait, 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 wait. That'll <laughs> No, no. How about in case you missed it? Well, hold on, the one case, that you well, missed. Oh, you're saying that in Jesse's tightly it. curated list of everything that happened in culture and entertainment might have missed something. How dare, no, how real. dare you, prop, prop? You know, I listen. I got, I got to ease this tension real quick, man. Can I get you a Pepsi? Oh yeah. no. <laughs> no! Yes, that's what I'm saying. I'm drinking. You talk, uh, yeah, okay, in case you missed it this week, the internet melted because Pepsi is stupid and uh, thought they'd solve racism. I already didn't like commercial. Pepsi just as a drink. And yeah. Now this is, uh, right. this is a real problem. So this propaganda. has been a bad week for PR for brands like United Airlines right. and, yeah. uh, and Pepsi. Almost a billion dollars. And stock value. So Pepsi, the thing about the Pepsi commercial exactly that baffled me, that baffled me, is how many people, not only... Right. I mean, okay, not only how many people does it take to make a commercial of that scale of production, which is huge, how many people are in that commercial? How many people approve that commercial? I mean, there were oh, hundreds, if not thousands of people involved, and not one of them said, is this a good idea? Like, okay, but that's no. the question. Okay, take, but think about it. Do you think they knew? Do you think it was just like we're going to no. blow up everything? I think even they thought it, it was the Coke commercial of give everybody a Coke and yeah. hold hands. And uh, was in the words. I think they were doing the modern generation version of that. And they just completely it was just like group think took I over. Think, yeah, I think they started with the star rather than the concept. They were like, oh. we want Kendall in a commercial. Let's yeah. build a commercial around her. How do we? So you tried to rather than starting with an idea and saying who fits the idea. If you guys, if somehow, if you've been living under a rock and, and literally in case you missed it, this Pepsi commercial that we're talking about was uh, out there for about 24 hours before they yanked it. And it was basically uh, the scene of uh, Kendall Jenner was doing a photo shoot, you know, and, 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 and there was a, a disruption outside and a mob, like people were marching down the street kind of supposedly spontaneously in response to something that was happening in their city. And, and there was a lot of young people and culturally diverse and stuff. And Kendall's watching this from the sidelines because of her shoot. And then she takes off her blonde wig and hands it to a black lady. It's very real. And, and then, <laughs> so let's, we can stop there. I know. Oh, 
Yeah. Right? That's exactly. what I'm saying. And then you go out there and it's, you know, it's, it's implied that this is a uh, Black Lives Matter thing because people are kind of like protesting the police. But, but, but then like but, the generic signs and stuff they're holding are like, let's have a conversation. But, but then there's like I mean, random cutaways to like an Asian cello player and like That's someone so who's, weird. you know, like what's evidently like a Muslim woman, like looking at photos like that has nothing to do with the concept. Right. It was just like, oh, we have to get more, uh, you know, people of different races in here, even if it has nothing to do with the concept of this commercial. So, so the culmination is there's this hard line of cops, you know, blockading the street, standing there and the protesters, you know, dead end right up in front of them. Cops and they're, wearing they're, just regular ball caps, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're not yeah, wearing not gear. No, 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 no. They're, yeah. they're not. They're, they're pretty soft. Very looking. handsome. Very yeah. handsome. Real and, nice fellas. And, uh, <laughs> and so they're all yelling. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> just generic stuff. And Kindle Dinner has joined them at this point and is walking defiantly to the front of the line with her can of Pepsi. And she right. breaks through and hands it to one of the police officers right. who takes a swig, smiles, and everybody finds peace and happiness okay. because of Pepsi. Now, that was the only part I thought was pretty spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I posted a video. Well, I said we posted a video on the website this week that people can go back and watch where the day that that video went up and was then pulled by Pepsi, uh, a guy went to a city council meeting, which evidently are recorded because they uploaded the video from it. And he, it was it was in Portland, Oregon. And he approached, I guess it was like a time of public comment. So like the mayor and all the council members are there. There's like a, you know, people sitting in the in the chairs in the audience. And it would serve him to talk. He talks about how, uh, you know, he feels really bad about, you know, people that come and yell and disagree about the Sydney ordinances. And he wanted to do something about it. So he walks up to the mayor right in front of everyone and pulls a Pepsi out of his jacket pocket and literally almost gets tackled and shot right there in front of city council. <laughs> what? But he did it as like joke commentary because, you know, he, he basically gets up and starts walking towards the mayor. Right. With um, his hand with his and, you know, the mayor scolds him and tells him what a terrible idea that was to do. But he was just making a point of like this Pepsi thing is so fundamentally stupid and flawed that, you know, any person in a place of authority is going to feel, you know, threatened in this type of scenario. And, and, the, and the concept is flawed at its very core because of the posture of a lot of people in authority. Prop, I have to ask you a question. Is there any scenario where any celebrity, any like anything could have been done production wise could have been done to make this commercial work or was it just never was it like or does it fall under the category of just like never ever do this? Yeah, it was over before it started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. it's just <laughs> so you, just just everything everything about it. Like first of all the idea that you just you're you're telling me that the solution to racial and power and tensions between people of power and people that are not of power, the solution is a product. It's that simple. You just got to hand them a soda. Mm -hmm. So that's the message you're trying to tell me. You done figured out all of our problems for the last 400 years. It's just give somebody a soda. That's what you're trying to tell me right now. Not even a good soda. So like just just principally, I'm like, yo, this is, yeah, start over, guys. You know that I, my. Coke Zero, I could have seen. Yeah, they, things at least be quieting down a little bit. You know bit. what? A bowl of pozole. Like, uh, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. you know what I'm saying? Some, this, some, some, this is a really good garlic cultural relevance. A bowl of candy corns. I mean, right. just, you candy know. Candy corns, dots. Over. You ever had dots? Everybody likes dots. I could have seen. Dude, 
smoothie. A hot tamale. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's Easter, you know. I mean, go around. So, uh, you know, I thought when I saw it, it was a misguided thing where they were almost trying to like recreate that iconic photo from Baton Rouge yeah. of the young lady standing up to the police and the, and the protests after the death of Alton Sterling. And it was like, you know, they were on the riot gear and she was staying, standing there peacefully and defiantly. And it just became a mo- like an image that captured like a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And I think they were trying to recreate that and cast Kylie Jenner as the girl. But, but ironically, that girl was detained. Yeah, not only that, she was detained. She's a criminal record. And hey, news flag, that lady was black. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, right, we're back to that part too. Yeah, that's right. She was, she was. She was but I'm not, saying, like, she but, was not Kylie. Jenner, but I think that's, that's what right. they were trying to evoke, you know. But it was like so off on multiple levels. Yeah, that girl didn't achieve peace. She got arrested. I think they were. Trying she to was do not the, white. I think yeah. they were trying to do like the um, the hippies who put the daisies in the end of the rifle yeah, yeah, to yeah, protest yeah. Vietnam War. I think they were like there was a little bit of that in there too. Yeah. Either way, that was actually happening. That was a real thing that somebody did. It's not. You know, it wasn't uh, co-opted by right, and it's easy. Yeah. It's not so. Well, yeah. that that was the other great SNL moment this weekend. Was did you guys see oh, the Beth yeah. Bennett sketch? Oh man, where that was amazing. He he played the director of that commercial and he's basic basically he's on the set of the commercial as it's taking place and he gets a phone call from his sister and he's like i you know how, did you guys see the the sketch i don't want to yeah. butcher it too much this is no louis ck stand up but anyway so the premise says he gets a phone call from his sister and he's explained to her he's like listen big pepsi spot i wrote it directed it. I'm producing it. Everything. This is my vision. And he explains it to her. And the rest of the sketch is, is his face. He's like, well, yeah, I mean, um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's supposed to be about racial <laughs> harmony, everything. And like, essentially, he's like, eventually he asks, he's, he's, he's for the first time realizing that somebody. Yeah. And yeah. at one point he goes, do you have any neighbors who are black? I need to talk to them. And you can tell their <laughs> so reaction hilarious. by the look on his face. But it's that epiphany of like, yeah, everyone missed it and thought this was somehow a good idea when any crazy. rational outsider is like, this is terrible. It's crazy. So now that'll do it. United Airlines probably serving Pepsi products. (laughs) (laughs) To whoever they feel like serving it Yeah, why didn't that guy, when he's getting dragged off, just hand that dude a Pepsi? And that would have solved the soul seating crisis. (laughs) It would have solved everything. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Pick someone else. Here's a Pepsi. All right, that'll do it for in case you missed it. Stay tuned. I'm next. Slices. The song is Lover's Letdown, which is my high school nickname. Um, at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> you heard Rye with Nightmare, which was later in my high school nickname. Uh, okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? Okay, I have a twofer. The first one's going to be really quick, I promise, because I know we got a lot to cover today. Uh, but a uh, the Isle of Wight Council in the UK 
uh, recently announced that uh, this big floating bridge ferry, I guess it's like a series of islands, this is going to get people from one to the other. It costs a ton of money. It looks super high tech. And of course, they made a mistake that uh, uh, the UK as a nation did recently, which was they asked uh, citizens to vote to name the vessel. Uh, as you may remember, the UK recently launched a, a giant search, a, a research ship that mm-hmm. cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and the public voted fair and square mm-hmm. to vote to name it Bodie McBoatface. Right? Um, did they actually which, accept it and name it Bodie McBoatface? They did was, not. They did they, not. They, there's a research sub on the ship that is like one of those little pods that they send down to the to the reef or whatever to, mm-hmm. to kind of check out those cool deep water stuff. They named that Bodie McBoatface, which that's a sub, that's not a boat. What they were voting on. Oh, you know, terrible. they were voting. They were voting. Vo- they were voting on the name of the ship <laughs> itself. So this is this is tyranny, okay? This is I, I, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be surprised that uh, a country ruled by you know a king and queen uh, would would do such a thing to suppress the, the democracy, you know? Basically, tearing up the Magna Carta is what they did there. Um, well, uh, a, a an area called Isle of Wight in the country did not learn the lesson because they too asked people on Facebook uh, they were going to create a vote what should we name this because right now it's named floating bridge number six and they even conceded the people uh, that, that run the area said that's a boring name but you know we want to crowdsource this of course the the they everyone voted almost it, it was overwhelming that floating bridge number six should be renamed floaty mcfloat face of course. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Brits. So what, what is the name of this isle, the island, when you first started this? Isle of White. Isle of White? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to be clear about that. All right. Yeah, it's in a Beatles song. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard the Beatles. Yeah, it's Isle of Wight. And oddly, since then, I've done some research. They announced that the voting was going to take place this week. They've gone radio silent on the whole vote thing. (laughs) Since everyone who has been posting on their Facebook page said they are voting floaty McFloatface. This is redemption, people. There's one, like, 25-year-old intern that was like, here's what's going to happen if you open this up. And they're like, no, no, that'll never no, happen. Give them a Pepsi anyway. Yeah, Nobody no, else. Gonna gonna yeah, that. That's what I'm saying. That's the same guy that got fired from Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was trying he to just, tell you guys, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is a bad idea. Okay. So that, that was slice number one. I, I just had to get that on my chest because I was outraged about the whole Bodie McBoatface thing. And I, you know, after that happened, th- okay, this is a little behind the, the curtain because I feel like enough time has gone by that, that uh, I, I can reveal something that happened on the podcast and with that. So after the whole Bodie McBoatface uh, debacle, I was outraged that they didn't go through with it. They ended up naming the vessel the Sir David Edinburgh. Am I saying his name right? He's the nature documentary filmmaker. So there was a petition from an activist right. who, uh, you know, thought it wasn't fair that they were going to name that vessel the Sir David Edinburgh uh, because the people had voted vote Bodie McBoatface. So he created a petition, which was also very popular, that the only way they could make this right was if Sir David Edinburgh would do the honorable thing and change his name to Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you know, I believe 
believe he's in his 90s and is is a you know very revered figure. I think he's actually a sir there. He's knighted. But what a gesture that would be to democracy if he that were to amazing. do the honorable and noble thing and recognize the will of people and change his name. So the man who was leading this campaign, I I contacted him privately on Twitter and we exchanged some messages. And, and I wanted to have him on as another as a second edition of Outlaw Hero uh, because I felt like mm-hmm. this was a story Outlaw we had Hero. to expose. I wanted yeah. to get behind the effort to get David Edinburgh to change his name to Bodie McBoatface. He's all for it. All of a sudden, he gets scared and he backs out at the last minute. This is true. This is my private correspondence with him. He backs out at the last minute of our uh, arrangement and our interview. I think they were listening in. I think the the spy government they were going Snowden <laughs> on him. They they wanted to squash this thing. And they did. So they did. They scared the guy. They scared the guy. I haven't been able to get in touch with him since. That is a true story, people. I'm gonna be on this floaty McFloat float face thing because the cat's out of the bag now. Okay? I've been down the road with Bodie McBoat face. I'm not gonna be denied twice. I'm watching you, Isle of White City Council. I'm watching. Oh, oh man, it sounds like we got a new serial podcast coming out of Jesse's life right there. That's true, guys. That's investigative journalism. That's the nitty gritty. Yes. I didn't want to have to get into it, but I did. So it's out there. All right, what do you have, Eddie? Okay, oh, well, I got I got one more. No, just one more slices. I thought that more. was two. Okay, all right, go ahead. No, no, that was just an update. That's how deep this rabbit hole goes, guys. Oh wow! <laughs> Prop and I'll just do ours next week. It's fine. Keep no, going. no. Uh, this this will be quick. I just thought it was really yeah, interesting. The sure show you guys remember Lost, uh, which was on years ago now, yeah, and how disappointing it. the season f- the series finale was. A lot of people yeah. felt like it left a lot of uh, questions unanswered. It was very ambiguous. Cameron Prop, did you guys watch Lost? I watched it, but I gave up. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really good and compelling. And then, like, there was a lull in certain seasons. And then, kind of at the last season, they tried to tie it all together and wrap it up. And it, it felt helter skelter. And it was it was just oddly paced. And what you find out after the fact is like the show's co-creator Damon Lindelof, uh, uh, like, was there for the first couple of years. And then he wasn't there for a couple of years. And that's when it got strange. And then he came back at the end. Yeah. And I think he was trying to make sense of it all. Yeah. Even though most of the storylines that were currently happening were not oh. his original vision. So it's not like the end was written when they started and they were always no. getting there. They were trying to save something. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah that's no good. What's interesting is this week, uh, Damon Lindoff and Carlton Cuse, one of the other uh, main creative forces behind it, revealed, I, I don't know if it's just that enough time has gone by that they're not afraid of consequences, but they've revealed in a new uh, interview, a long interview they did with Entertainment Weekly, that they actually did have a vision almost from the beginning that ABC squashed at the last moment that would have made for a much more satisfying ending, one that actually has some interesting spiritual um, implications. Um, And so they said that uh, part of the idea that they had when they launched the show was what if uh, they could make this big symbol that all comes together at the end, the smoke monster, um, you know, this idea that the island is this bottleneck uh, for all this bad and evil what if they could make it uh, and explain it through this like almost supernatural volcano that will come into the light in the last big epic season finale? Here's how Damon Lindoff explained it. He said the question was, how do you basically visualize and dramatize the idea that the island itself is all that separates the world from hellfire and damnation? 
And the answer was the volcano. The volcano had been dormant uh, for the duration of the series, but based on moving into this endgame, the island would have become unstable and the volcano was going to erupt. But we were going to have lots of seismic activity, activity, and ultimately there was going to be this big fight between the forces of good and the forces of evil, which ended up in the series manifesting as Jack and the Man in Black in the midst of magma, magna spewing everywhere. So this big grand vision that had this good versus evil, this idea of like hell trying to come forth that Jack was going to try to stop. And the reason they didn't go through with it is ABC at that point said it was just going to be too expensive to pull off. And they need to think of something else. I, okay. I two two notes about this one in the next issue of relevant, which is at the printer right now, we have an interview with Damon. He is uh, also the co-creator of the Leftovers, yeah. the show uh, on HBO that's debuting uh, its final season, and it's about kind of a post-event community of people. Uh, rapture is implied, but you know, and it's interesting. And it explores, you know, uh, that that you know, human situation and spiritual situation and everything. And while we were interviewing him about that, we're like, well, we have a co-creator of Lost on the phone. We have a few questions, okay. Mm-hmm. And straight up asked him, what's the deal with the smoke monster? It was never explained. What's the deal with whatever? And he answered him like, like straight up answered him. And we published the answers in Mm -hmm. the next issue of relevant. Like if you're a lost fan and you're wondering like some of the things that they didn't fully explain, uh, we have a little sidebar on this story and it, and he laid it out there and it makes total sense. But uh, aside from that, the, uh, back when lost was first starting, I threw a, at some event I met a, a a vice president at ABC at a media thing. And we ended up chatting for quite a while. And then when she found out more about relevant, she was a believer and uh, she knew uh, about relevant. And she was telling me, she's like, we just greenlit a show that you're going to love. And she was describing, she said, uh, these guys came in and they pitched a five year vision for this incredible show that was going to be incredibly expensive because they have to go shoot it in Hawaii and all this stuff. And so they pitched the entire five-year arc and basically needed ABC to commit to seeing the entire vision through because it wouldn't make sense to like go set up this massive production in Hawaii and then cancel it after a year. You kind of need to like mm-hmm. pay it off over wow. five years. And so she was describing to me this five-year arc for the show Lost that they had just greenlit and was in development. And then it comes out and, and it totally got weird in like yeah. season two and two and three. And you find out after the fact, like a character that's supposed to just make a cameo in one episode ended up being popular in the ratings. And so now he's a major character for the next two seasons. And like, just it felt like they were just chasing their own tail through the whole thing. And it's exactly uh, what you just said that it was supposed to be one thing and, and it started to go another direction. And then yeah. the show co-creators left. Um, you know, it said, this isn't the show we signed up to create. And it was just a whole mess. And now we know this all in hindsight. And of course, at the time, we're all just confused. What do you have, Eddie? I would say that as my time as a pastor, my favorite meeting that I ever had was with, and I'm just really calling her out here because um, I've never seen her since, but it was a person that didn't go to the church, but really wanted to meet with me. And we sat down in my office and had a great conversation about 45 minutes and I was kind of wondering what the point was but I thought maybe we're just getting to know each other did she want to talk about the ending of lost it's not <laughs> she had a lot of spiritual <laughs> questions it's, it's actually pretty close because it was that point so that, the smoke monster I never got that <laughs> at that point she opened up her briefcase and pulled out a uh, a, a pack of things to give me uh, that said keep Christ in Christmas 
And she wanted me to do a full court press in, at the church and to give out buttons and magnets. So she was a traveling salesman for the issue of the war on Christmas. keeping Christ in Christmas. Um, a lot of people have been concerned about this because apparently... Ironically, the meeting was in April. that's that's exactly right uh similarly she's just she's just staying ahead of the curve that's the thing if i've learned about wars on culture wars which was good because we were planning on doing only jingle bells for our entire advent season we ended up going the jesus route in the church jingle jingle bell rock i guess in a way i appreciated her but it reminded me i was reminded of that meeting when i read this week's slice that i am going to to bring you every year in Britain. Again, we are putting Britain on blast once again, once again, two slices. Hey, in well, I'm still pretty mad about this Bodie McBoatface thing. I mean, they deserve it. What they, they, <laughs> they have what's coming to them right now. They have a national Easter egg hunt, which sounds kind of neat. Yeah. So it is sponsored by Cadbury and apparently it's in, Oh, I read it. 250 sites owned by the national trust. It's like a big day where everybody comes all out over and, England. Yeah. Which I think is just lovely. 300,000 children participate. What? In this. So this Who is pays wow. for the eggs. Uh, they're Cadbury. Cadbury Tax, provides them for free. And you have gotten to the heart of the issue huh. because it has been called for a long, long time. The, uh, like the Cadbury Easter egg hunt presented by the national trust, kind of a co-branded thing between Cadbury and the national trust. Yeah. They provide um, the land. We provide the eggs. National, we both get credit. National trust also in a Beatles song. This is really wild. Wow. Um, Sounds like thrilling music. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> too yeah. bad I missed out on it. <laughs> <laughs> so singing about parks and this year, islands of white people. <laughs> that's pretty much, oh. that's basically the Beatles. <laughs> like, like, like I wanted to say you're, I wanted to say you're wrong, but that's why they're awesome. Uh, um, so, Cadbury this year renamed it. They are calling it Eggy McEgg Egg the, Face. The Cadbury Egg Hunt. <laughs> oh wow. What have they removed? The National Park Service. They removed Easter. East from <gasps> Easter. They removed Easter propaganda. Removed That's East right. Yes. Easter. So they are freaking out. People are freaking out and saying that you are taking the Easter out of Easter, which is, I guess, really the messed pagan up. pagan holiday. So they blame it <laughs> on Cad- fertility and eggs. They're taking <laughs> it out of our... That's right. They're blaming it on Cadbury. Cadbury's blaming it on the National Trust. Everybody's upset. Um, so uh, someone said, I think the National Trust, is what they're doing is frankly ridiculous. Cadbury is saying we're not trying to get rid of the religious overtones of clearly we, we can't make Easter not about Easter. We were just calling it an egg hunt. We wanted to simplify the branding. Clearly, I mean, how is it that people don't get the idea that when you Mm -hmm. find chocolatey Easter eggs and you're running around and there's big people in bunny costume, that that doesn't directly relate to the crucifixion and and death and (laughs) resurrection of our Savior? I don't get that. I just don't. How can you disconnect the two? Right. So, in response to this outcry from people feeling like there is, you know, taking Jesus out of this beautiful season, they have quietly gone through the website and started to like add Easter back in and like some of the logos, but they can't redo the whole branding campaign at this point because it's Holy Week. I mean, we got it's Good Friday. The logos are locked at this point. You don't have time for this. No. You don't understand. Oh, it's they should have been playing this back in like you open the fall. Illust- you can't in open Illustrator <laughs> and put in Easter Last real quick year. and right. email it out. It's right. impossible to do. Yeah. Anyhow, there's a big 
uh, uproar about that. And um, do, do Brits really get in a big uproar, or are they just oh. gonna go? Oh yeah, they're just kind of politely. <laughs> oh, I never. Well, I never. That's as that's as mad as they get. They say that's it. Well, basically, they're slightly incredulous, <laughs> exactly but they they're do. just gonna stuff it down deep, deep down, deep, hold and it just down. never talk about it again. That's one of my favorite things about John Oliver's show is he talks about like a British reaction to things uh-huh. and how they basically just eat all their emotions they yeah. just swallow and, and, and it and it all just... comes out in, in a soccer riot like You're basically right. they eat all their emotions <laughs> until like you know a, a, a goal a, a game ends one to zero or they just yeah. or they just do a million microaggressions and name stuff like Bodie McBoatface <laughs> and then like right. you know Floaty Mc... yeah. it's just a complete microaggression it's like it's just such suppressed anger it is <laughs> yeah they're, their anger is so suppressed the only way they can do it in the most subversive ways possible yes. and that's voting to get vessels named in, in humorous ways. And in yes. a world, and I got to tell you, in a world, though, where Easter egg hunts have been canceled, there was another story this week about how a local fire department canceled their Easter egg hunt because parents were so aggressive to get their kids Easter eggs. I will say that if you have ever been to an Easter egg hunt, there is no God in that. It is just a terrible, hot mess where your kids cry and get basically a half a cup of candy and are pretty upset about the entire situation it's an absolute picture of depravity <laughs> and how right. we train our children to overpower each other right and get everything that you want at the cost of your baby sister <laughs> bingo and i am actually okay distancing that from the actual easter branding i feel like let's call an egg hunt an egg hunt and let's leave easter in church that's my hot take by the way why do only kids get to do easter egg hunts i think it'd be fun for adults to do it's called I, if someone said, hey listen there's an adult adults easter are egg doing hunt. it that's the best part is like that's right. the debauchery the adults actually are doing it because in our culture, some of them eggs got money in them. Yes. <laughs> so, right. You can find two like, or three dollars in there. That's a nice. Putting your kids up in, putting your kids to work. All right. What do you have? Happy prop? Easter, everyone. Well, uh, what I got is um, again something that's also indicative to the beauty of of having a more diverse host thing here. <laughs> so after twenty one years of people being quiet and developing all kinds of conspiracy theories and rabbit trails and investigative journalism. Uh, Suge Knight has finally revealed that he knows who killed Tupac. What? Yeah. And is consulted and um, did a lot of consulting for a upcoming documentary uh, that's supposed to lay out the whole thing. Now, a lot of us have no seen way. this documentary already. You've because seen some it? Of the, yeah, because some of the things have leaked. Wow. Ooh. Huh? Oh, man. This is like this is like learning the real ending of Lost. Continue, please. <laughs> this is yes. crazy. This is even better. Yes. Now, the interesting part about this whole, like, Suge Knight revealing who who killed Tupac. I thought he did. He, yeah. So he was in the car, obviously, right? right. So it was, a, it was a signed affidavit uh, that he was saying that the shooter was actually um, gunning for for him and not for actually Pac. Uh-huh. Pac uh, was sort of um, an innocent bystander, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were two people um, that were attempting to take over all the uh, sort of power and control of Death Row Records. So here's here's a statement. He's known for many years that Reggie White Jr. and his ex-wife, uh, Sharitha, were 
behind the murder of Tupac and attempted to murder Knight. Um, so he said his head of security, who was previously linked to uh, Pac's death by the LAPD directive, Russell Poole, um, along with his ex-wife, were all basically conspiring to take over death row. And so the bullets were actually intended for him, but instead they How? hit Pac. That's what he's saying. Now, keep in mind, this is a man who is facing a life sentence for running over a human. Right. Like he ran over the guy and it's on video. And yeah, he's so he ran over a guy and and he's and the judge has decided that I am not moving this case. Uh, This is what's happening. So on surveillance camera, we all saw it. Suge Knight ran over a human, right? right? And then pleaded not guilty. So let's take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, so you're saying there, there may be some credibility issues there. Yes, that that it is, and and I'm I'm somewhat nervous saying this, knowing full well the man the man is in prison right now. That it was very well known among the streets and among the squares in California that. Suge is crazy. Right. Like, so the, 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 the amount of gangsterism that Suge is already a part of in all of the stories and, uh, you know, the, the, the tell-alls that people tell about like how he, you know, muscled down people for their, uh, 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 publishing rights, uh, the wild parties, how he would tie people up in the corner and make fun of them. And during recording sessions, like, from what I know is people are going, it's not that that's true. It's that that is understated. It was far worse. You've met, so you've met people that were actually like there in that, in those moments where like Suge was going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've known people that were part of like the writing teams and stuff like that. And they were like, listen, he's crazy. (laughs) And, And, um, so I, on one hand, have no problem believing that somebody was trying to kill him uh, because it was probably hundreds of people trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I also have no problem believing the reality that there's really no honor among thieves and a man who's finna face, like, who named his company Death Row, who's now right. ironically facing Death Row, would start singing. Well, I, I, had a th- I always had a theory over the years. You know, obviously, famously, he lost Dre. Right. Yeah, right. Yes. And 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 my theory was always that there was probably some discussion about Pac getting a little too big for his britches, or Pac thinking about his future, or maybe doing something mm-hmm. else. And maybe no. maybe Suge was like trying to like wine him and dine him and try to make nice or whatever. That but he work. basically hired a hit against Pac. Yeah, yeah. And just like I'm going to squash this. Nobody's going to leave Death Row. Right. That was always my assumption, and obviously I nobody said that. I I, I just assumed yeah. it. Just all of a sudden saying these random people, like, you know, whatever. It's just like, I don't know, man. That just doesn't ring yeah, true. Yeah, it's, it's almost like if I'm going down, you're going down with me. But, right. Like, but right. come on, bro. What, what would he have to gain? If he's about to get a life sentence, it's not like they're going to reduce Try. that for him being honest. Like, why wouldn't he just, just at this point hip-hop st- history that it doesn't, singing. like, point to him? That he's trying to clear his name in hip-hop history right. a little bit more? There's that or the fact that you are trying to make logical rational conclusions about a dude that's clearly not logical or rational right oh yeah so i'm saying like this this we can wax philosophical on a million things i'm just like brother's crazy yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so 
there's um things that he's maybe uh on some just just street laws like hey man if i'm going down we are going down yeah oh man all right well that'll do it for slices stay tuned up next nt Wright joins us song is tell me uh, this week's feature interview is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. if you're hiring um where do you post to find all the best job candidates if you want to find the perfect hire you need to post them to all the top job sites right. and now you can with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to more than 200 job sites, including social media networks, I didn't all know there with were. a single click. Wow, there's 200 of them? Yeah, apparently. And, well, now you, all you need is one, though. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes in their database that you can search through. So, no juggling emails and calls to your office. You can screen the candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. Right now, uh, Relevant Podcast listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash relevant. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash relevant. And one more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash relevant. And if you're by chance looking for the world's preeminent New Testament theologian, we may have somebody for you. N.T. Wright is a retired (laughs) Anglican bishop, scholar, and professor at St. Andrews University in Scotland. In his latest book, uh, The Day the Revolution Began, uh, he looks at how modern Christians misunderstand the crucifixion and why re-examining it can help reshape your faith. We recently spoke with N.T. Wright about the book and the true meaning of Good Friday and Easter weekend. We had a conversation that we published in the current issue of Relevant. Here is another part of... I mean, the book's 800 pages long, I think. I really want to get it. I'm excited. He is the best. You better read it like this weekend or else it'll just... You got to wait till next year. You can't like listen to Christmas music when it's not Christmas. Yeah, but Easter is past, present, and future, so we can always get to it. Amen. I'll learn about that in the, in the intro of the book, I assume. The resurrection's always relevant, bro. That's true. Boom. Well, because he's he, because he now lives in my heart, right? And he right? Yeah. That that, <laughs> yeah, Cameron, that, that is why I eat cabbage. <laughs> but you know what? What on a on, seriously, folks? <laughs> seriously, folks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> N.T. Wright is brilliant. Oh yeah. Yeah. He is a brilliant. I, he's really. I really feel like he's a gift to the body, man. He really is. I was on a trip one time in England, and we got the opportunity. It was a group of pastors, and then me, and we got the opportunity of having breakfast with him. Yeah. And um, and and it was just kind of an open dialogue, just kind of whatever questions, mm-hmm. you know. And it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. Yeah. I mean, it was like you're just jaws on the floor with his wisdom and his insight, and his. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. The pure depth of his knowledge. I mean the. the the extent to which he knows and has commented on the breadth of the Bible is almost historically unparalleled. It's mm. amazing that we're sort of, I mean, I don't want to like exalt like, him as a God, but it's like crazy that we're living in his time where we're watching him create but, but because you, these things that he's putting out. You would say that when we look back, when, when historians look back at this era and his writings, it would be C.S. Lewis. It would be like, he, he goes into the pantheon of the greats. Not, yeah. Okay. Like of, of the greats of all time. And you don't, I mean, he said things that some people have disagreed with and he's fairly outspoken egalitarian, which some people disagree with and all those and, kinds and a of massive Don Rickles fan. Oddly huge. His number one fan <laughs> Did take a lot, takes a lot of his quotes as his own, which is actually pretty disturbing in Tom's writing and, and big university of Mississippi football fan too. I don't know. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's a Lord. Lord. Miss. Yeah. yeah. Tom Wright gave me a Pepsi. 
Here is N.T. Wright. Tell me a little bit of why you wanted to write about the crucifixion. Well, I have been both in uh, the practice of ministry, pastoral and preaching for many years, and I've also been obviously a teacher of theology for many years. And uh, again and again, in other books and articles I've written, I have had a section on the meaning of the cross, but I've never actually set it out and said, here's actually the big picture of all that. And a few years ago, as you probably know, I wrote a book on the resurrection, the resurrection of the Son of God. Well, I say a few years ago, it's actually 14 years ago now. Um, And I always meant to follow that quite quickly with a balancing book, as it were, on the meaning of the cross. And I was distracted by other things like a new job and so on. And I always had in the back of my mind, sooner or later, I have to come back and lay this out properly. And I actually didn't know what I would find when I did, because I suspected that when I actually set the whole thing out, new ideas would would come and I would see fresh insights into bits of scripture. And that is indeed what happened. So it's been a very exciting journey for me because I haven't changed my mind about any of the big things, but the, the larger picture and the way it fits together uh, has come quite freshly to me. When you started researching uh, the, the the crucifixion, what was the big aha moment that surprised you, that kind of made you realize maybe you were framing it in a different light than it actually was in the Gospels? Yeah, yeah. I think, well, when you say in the Gospels, that's part of the exciting thing, that so many books about the atonement and the cross actually don't spend very much time with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tend to go for Paul, they tend to go for Hebrews, they tend to jump to Athanasius or Augustine or Calvin or whoever, and that's fine, but um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were then treated as simply providing the backstory for, oh yeah, the fact Jesus was crucified, so he had a trial and they took him to his cross and nailed him there, and, and now let's go to Paul to find out what it means. And actually the Gospels themselves are telling us what it means in a hundred different ways, which we've tended in the Western tradition, I think actually all the Christian tradition to screen out, particularly the idea which then fits with some of the classic theories of atonement, but have not, I've not seen it worked out like this. The idea which the Gospels give you that as Jesus is born and as Jesus is announcing the kingdom and as he's going about doing what he does, showing this is what it looks like when God is becoming king, then evil converges on him, whether it's Herod plotting against his life when he's a baby, whether it's the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians plotting against him, whether it's the devil tempting him, whether it's uh, tormented souls screaming at him in the graveyards or the synagogues, there's a sense of evil converging upon this one man doing this kingdom task until finally in Luke's gospel he says when they arrest him, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And you see that in John in different ways as well. Um, And it is as though, and I say that because it's mysterious and scary, it is as though the forces of evil, which are dark and shadowy, and they don't have good language for that any more than we do, but there's a sense of the presence and power of evil. It's coming together and doing its worst, and it dumps on Jesus, and Jesus exhausts its force. And you can see this then 
remarkably, actually, in the book of Acts chapter 4, where the disciples have been threatened by the, the chief priests, and they come back and they pray Psalm 2, and Psalm 2 starts off with the nations raging against the Lord and his anointed, and they say, yep, that's what happened, Herod and Pilate here in this city with the chief priests and the elders, and they all got together and to put Jesus to death. But God has vindicated him, and they see this as the Psalm 2 moment, the fact that evil has done its worst and has been defeated. So I suppose what I've seen there is a gospel-based, a gospels and acts-based reading of what is sometimes called the Christus Victor theme, the victory over the powers of evil. But what that then also has given me is an integration of that theory of Christ winning the victory of the powers with uh, the means by which it happens, which is basically a version of penal substitution. And there are different versions of penal substitution, but the one which you find in scripture is uh, the one which says this is where the entire scriptural story comes together. And Jesus, as the representative of Israel and the human race, stands in for the rest of us and takes the weight of evil onto himself. So it's a combination. So, so that, that was really what opened it up for me, the fact that these theories ought not to be played off against one another, as has often been done in the past, but actually they belong together and they're mutually reinforcing. And, and you get to that from the Gospels. And then when you go to Paul, you see, of course, much of the same, but developed in particular different contexts. But that was really exciting for me, seeing that whole train of thought in the Gospels. So one of the interesting things about the book is it's called, for people who who haven't seen it yet, The the Day the Revolution Began. And when you're talking about the the cross in terms of revolution is a really interesting way to frame it. Why did you want to use that word and and position it as a revolutionary moment? Well, um, I think a lot of Christians fail to appreciate what the New Testament says again and again that by sunset on Good Friday, the day Jesus died, something in the whole world had changed radically. Uh, uh, Something had happened as a result of which the world was a different place. Now, nobody realized that that day. The disciples were not sitting around beside the cross saying, well, this is all very unpleasant, but at least he's now died for the sins of the world, so that's all right. They weren't saying that at all. They were saying, oh my goodness, we backed the wrong guy and we're in trouble and we better hide and get out of town quick and so on. But then with Easter, with the resurrection of Jesus, they began to realize, though it was such a shock, they had to work it all out and read the scriptures and so on. They began to realize that Easter itself happened because death was defeated on Good Friday. Um, And therefore, if death had been defeated, sin was defeated, and therefore a whole new world had been born. So the idea then of something happening as a result of which the world is a different place, this is revolutionary. In other words, it isn't just about a system or good advice on how to get to heaven or some um, sort of little spiritual trick that enables certain things to happen. This is cosmic. And then all the other things that we want to say about the cross happen within that picture. So it's a, it's a global revolution. And the task of the Christians in our day is to hang on to that vision because the world around us is constantly just saying, oh, well, you know, the cross, it's a nice symbol of self-sacrifice or something like that. It isn't just as it is a symbol, but it isn't just a symbol. It's, it's a one-off event. Um, in the middle of human history as a result of which the world is a different place.
That was NT Wright. Stay tuned. Up next, Drew Holcomb joins us. But this league got your final fantasy. Couple hundred grand, we can find your fantasy. Couple hundred grand, we can find the Pharisee. Had to leave the genre just to find my family. Had to leave the genre just to find some worship. This is me divided between my pride and purpose. This is me responding to my God in worship. This is just a body filled with God the person. New slaves off the news hanging. New slang, but the truth's changing. I'm Bruce Wayne, but you can find me toasted in the dark. Dark side, I'm staring at the window. Looking for the light from the signal There go, look, there's my hero It's rest on my ring, blood stain, gazebo What's yours is mine, it's Cherokee Casino We locking up Ryan Lochte back in Rio I've been in the clouds When I touch down in your city, better be Try, slow it down But I can't stop, homie, I've been on a Hands in the sky Every time we drawn and they always gotta Keep your hands hot you're listening to Taylor Gray and Tragic Hero. The song is Amistad. Um, it's on Taylor's new album, which we we brought to your attention a couple weeks ago here on the show. Yeah. Big fans. Yeah, awesome. Get, the, get those Spotify numbers up for him. He's good. Yeah. And he's like just a phenomenal human. Oh, man, that makes it so much better. Taylor Gray, everybody. On their latest album, Souvenir, Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors blend their signature Americana sensibilities with songs about social issues, love, and even the open road, which they're singing this song and then like uh, Mr. T just goes screaming by in a van. And it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yeah you, you, odd. It, the thing is, when, when Mr. T goes flying down the highway at 150 miles an hour, he literally screams with the window down the whole time. <laughs> you just hear, <laughs> It's pretty incredible. I mean, for like four straight hours. We recently spoke with Drew, who walks us through some of the album's standout tracks. Here is Drew Holcomb. Maybe one more Sing me one more song. Okay, so Fight for Love is a, is a great story. I, I wrote this record, uh, <clears throat> a lot of it, with my bandmates, uh, Rich and Nathan. So Rich sent this uh, song idea with this kind of, it sort of had a verse and then one line of a chorus, and um, uh, he sent in, yeah, what makes the sun go down, what makes the world spin around, it's time we can't have back that we need the most. And then he's saying that you got to fight for love thing. And, and immediately I thought, oh, actually, I, I love this. And uh, I started tinkering with it on my end. So um, from there, I just kind of did some rearranging. And I, I, that, that line that really struck me, it's the time we can't have back that we need the most, I thought was a great place for us to sort of build. Uh, build a song about sort of how do you move on from regret into like building something constructive. And I think that so much of music is um, sort of deconstructive in a way. It's, uh, it's a way to sort of acknowledge both the problems in the world and in your own life and uh but a lot of times it kind of leave you with no uh nowhere to go from there and uh, i've always sort of wanted to find a way forward um to sort of acknowledge the 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 struggle but then not leave it at the struggle always and so this is uh this is one that um we sort of built into this kind of using a romantic idea as a as a as a vessel for a bigger idea about how in life and in a relationship you, you you know love is not something you just wait around on you have to actually get up and go after it and fight for it and work for it you got 
necessarily have a, uh, a chorus they, they more have like a refrain and so this is a very like particularly kind of uh, thought through structure of a song I wanted to have it be just like five or six verses with each verse sort of building on the next verse with, with each verse ending in the same refrain and I had uh, came up with this line it's a new year it's a new song it's the same mystery um, and I started looking back at uh we have an annual New Year's gathering of close friends at our house, and it's uh, it's sort of one of these deals where there's like uh, people in the house and people gathered in the kitchen and people sitting around the fire and, and food and beverages and um, you know I was thinking about different people you know that, what is that like so it's fireside conversations bourbon on our breath laughter in the kitchen children make a mess you know uh, front porch backyard tragedy in between that idea that like there's this beauty and tragedy happening at, at home in everyone's home all the time uh, love and loss and laughter and in our particular community and the people that are in that house at that time there had been just a sorrowful year uh, um, 2016 uh, 2015 really was uh, just uh, framed with cancer friends that lost a, a young child um, divorce just the tough things real life you know things that kind of um make you sort of think through this like passage of time that you can't stop you know uh new year's is sort of this happy but sort of uh, melancholy reminder that you're just getting older and you, and you do the best you can every year from the front porch to the backyard the tragedy in between it's a new year it's a new song it's the same mystery Talk about your brother Stories left unheard You share blood But you don't share words Alright, so I've got a four-year-old daughter And this is a song that I wrote with my guitar player about her His name's Nathan Duggar She calls him Doug Doug And uh, her name is Emmy Lou Yeah, so she's uh, four and a half She's a little younger than four when we wrote this song and this song started as sort of this like John Prine sort of, uh, you know, kind of train song um, just about about her. You know, your mama's sunshine, your daddy's rain. My wife is a very like uh, extroverted sunshine type personality. And uh, I tend to be more the stoic sort of glasses half full. So she's a little bit of both. You know, my daughter is. And, and, and this is a song just about all the different things about her. So, um, you know, I think it's a hard thing as a songwriter to like. You know, this impetus to want to be sort of universal and cool uh, in your writing. You want your songs to relate to people that may not be in your same life stage. But I found that for me, uh, writing about where you are uh, in and of itself becomes universal because the particular becomes relatable. You know, when you're, when you're trying to universalize everything, it sort of doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any any context. So this song is all about this particular moment for me as a daughter of, I mean, as a dad of a four-year-old daughter, you know, so we're, we're talking about like, you act just like your father, you laugh at your own jokes. You know, that's my daughter. She'll tell a joke and laugh before you have an opportunity to, 
Um, you know, she writes on the wall, you know, we don't need no Mona Lisa, we don't need Dolly or Chagall. Trying to, you know, just use these different cultural things that, you, you know, you love as an adult and compare them, relate them to your, to your kid. And then really uh, my favorite line of the song is when you're all grown up, no longer a pup, going out into the great unknown, you'll find a little piece of you that you can call your own. So it's sort of a juxtaposition with her being her mama's sunshine or daddy's rain. Yeah, you're not just those two things. You're also your own person. And I can't wait to see who you become. All day long, right or wrong, you question everything. Why the grass is green, can I stay up late? And why do bluebirds sing? Sometimes you cry your big blue eyes for no discernible reason. Your point of view, it comes and goes like the changing of the seasons. You got your mama's sunshine, you got your daddy's rain. You're like a piece of heaven in a hurricane. And it's bubbling over like a sweet champagne. You got your mama's sunshine. You got your daddy's rain. That was Drew Holcomb. Stay tuned up next. Open Doors is Kristen Wright joins us. Listening to Future Islands, the song is North Star. This past weekend, a pair of bombings killed hundreds of Christian worshipers in Egypt um, who were gathered in churches, uh, Coptic churches, celebrating Palm Sunday. We recently spoke with Kristen Wright, the director of advocacy at the group Open Doors USA, about the bombing, uh, the persecution, and dangers facing Christians in the country, and how people can get involved to help. Uh, this is ISIS's next big thing is just going to start targeting Christians even more intentionally than they have in the past. I, yeah. I was listening to NPR yesterday, and they were talking about uh, what an underreported um, thing this is uh, right now. Uh, so here you go. Here is Kristen Wright. This past weekend, there were dozens of worshipers at churches uh, on Palm Sunday in Egypt that were the victims of, uh, you know, just these horrific bombings. Can you explain a little bit about what happened there? Unfortunately, um, on Sunday, as Christians attended services, um, then there were two different bombings um, resulting in the deaths of of dozens of people. And I believe that the most uh, recent 
uh, numbers are that there's hundreds that are injured. Um, I, we've been still receiving different reports on it, but uh, just or at least over a hundred injured. Um, and so, just this uh, tragedy, we heard from our own um, offices. Uh, we have, of course, work on the ground in Egypt, and. Um, just saying that um, the tragedy at St. George's Church in Tanta, this is one of the large Delta cities in the north of Egypt, which I think at one point uh, the numbers were 27 dead and then tens of injured Christians. Um, and our, just our partners on the ground are telling us just very, very hard to concentrate, very hard to focus uh, with something this, uh, ha- this tragic. It sort of just you know blindsides the Christian community there. However, attacks against Christians um, in Egypt are not unusual. Um, this this has happened before. It happened only a few months ago. Uh, but before I get into that, um, there was a second blast um, that, that then affected uh, at, at St. Mark's Church in Alexandria. Um, and then more people lost their lives. And this was also caused by a suicide attack. Um, and so we've been hearing from our partners just to please pray uh, for Egypt. Please pray for the Christians in Egypt. And um, and then the, the, the name of God would also be glorified even in the midst of this death and devastation. What what is the situation like for the Christian population in Egypt? How much I know that they're a religious minority, but for the, for everyday life as a as a Christian in Egypt, what what is it like there? Well, there are approximately uh, just over nine million Christians in Egypt, um, and this is in a population of ninety five million. So you're looking at right about ten percent of the population. Uh, most Egyptian Christians are Coptic Christians. Um, this is a, um, you know, of course, an ancient Christian community that has existed for a very long time. Um, the this it's a large minority when you look at the numbers of minority Christians in other places throughout you know the area of like the Middle East and North Africa. Um, but while they've faced a lot of uh, great difficulties, they've also in the past been tolerated because of like, um, their demographic size, the historical significance. Um, but we're seeing some changes, you know, in recent years as Christians are being violently targeted and these horrifying attacks are taking place. Um, there is a small community of Muslim background believers as well in Egypt, and that's a community that Open Doors also works with, although we are also very involved with the Coptic Church. Um, some of the ways that Open Doors works to help Christians in Egypt is through uh, literacy training, um, women's empowerment ministry. That's a big one. Uh, we see where women um, are sort of twice victimized. Uh, Christian women are sort of twice victimized because they face um, difficulties because of their gender and then also because of their faith in Christ. And so we hear terrible accounts of um, of kidnappings, of rape, of forced marriage, and Open Doors is very active in working to assist those women who have faced um, horrifying situations like that and work the work in the area of women's empowerment. We also have youth ministry. Um, I think I mentioned literacy training and advocacy is a big part of that as well, working to um, assist the Christian community 
they're resilient community, but they're facing so much right now that I think it's really important now more than ever for them to know that Christians around the world are standing with them in this hour of, of, uh, of, of horror and of tragedy. You can read more about this story, uh, but you can also read more about the ways that Open Doors is working to address the situation of persecuted Christians in Egypt by visiting opendoorsusa.org. Also, on the website, um, you can visit the World Watch List, and this is a resource that has a lot of information about each of the individual countries where Christians face the most severe persecution. Uh, You can also find advocacy opportunities, and again, that's at opendoorsusa.org. That was Kristen Wright. Stay tuned. Up next, your feedback. Listening to Holy Holy, which was also my high school nickname. Uh, the song is Elevator, not the Outcast version, but Holy Holy's version. Okay, it's time for your feedback. So last week, our question of the week, uh, we I don't know how we got talking about this, uh, but it was Science Mike's Science uh, Mike. It's his fault. Yeah, but you know we talk, basically talking about how our economy, the discussion about our economy changing is is, a lot of people are talking about immigration issues affecting the economy and taking jobs from Americans. But the reality is, is that when you want to go down the road the next 5, 10, 20 years, the vast majority of jobs that sustain our economy are going to be automated and taken over by robots. Um, And so we got talking, we got talking about what jobs are kind of robot proof because robots could kind of do most things that we are now employed to do. So um, we got, we wanted to ask you guys. So the question of the week last week was what job are you going to do in the future that a robot could never do? You guys hit us up on Twitter at relevant podcast and you posted uh, on the podcast episode page at relevant Here's a few of our favorites. What's really weird about this before we dig in is literally this week, the NPR show Marketplace is doing a show about robot, is doing a segment on robot-proof jobs. Once again, Marketplace is lifting our ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, speaking of lifting ideas, I don't want to ignore the question week. I'm going to start reading some, but I want to thank Philip Wiebe real quick on Twitter who raised our attention to a joke that is... Very, very much like a joke that we told on the podcast like two weeks ago. Did you Which, guys see this? What, what is this? What? It's from Zach Lowe, the NBA writer, the Low Post mm-hmm. column. I mean, mm-hmm. you're familiar with Zach Lowe, right? Oh Cameron? yeah, I love his stuff. Yeah. yeah, except he says terrible, terrible things about the Magic. So I don't really read him anymore. <laughs> magic has always he's <laughs> always said that, not? or just lately? No, just since they deserved it. Right. Yeah, just yeah, since about 2010. Wait, 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 wait! Can you back that up again? <laughs> Yeah, he's been saying terrible things about the magic because they deserve it. Right. So I don't need I that negativity him. in my life. I'm not going to read them. <laughs> right. I'm just going to. I know that they're bad. Mm-hmm. I know how bad they are. I don't reminded. need some national columnist who doesn't watch every game like I do to tell me how bad they are. I know how they're bad. So, so his, Zach Lowe's official title mm-hmm. is senior ESPN writer. He's got like half a million Twitter followers, and here is what he tweeted. Okay. And I'm not saying he took this from us. I'm just saying it's a weird joke to post. Okay. 
lucky enough to be around NBA players slash coaches. Yet when I see a weatherman at the ABC office, I'm like, oh my gosh, the weatherman, all caps. Should I say hi, all caps? <laughs> yep, exactly. Lifted That's it. literally a joke we uh, told, except if you if you switch out players slash coaches for, uh, you know, musicians and celebrities and the ABC office is for the grocery store, <laughs> that's our joke. Right. I'm not saying he took it, but that's a weird joke to make. Does anyone yeah. else think that's weird? I right. would just want to say, Zach, thanks so much. We are glad you're a fan Thank of the show. Listening. It's yeah, great. And stop yeah, saying what you, you said there about you the magic. Roll out those receipts. Roll your receipts out, Jesse. Roll them out. <laughs> that's that's right. Exactly, man. Royalties on that. Dude. Zach, <laughs> Zach, while you're listening, the magic are going to turn around this summer. We have a plan and you just it was tweeted on a whiteboard for everyone to see. We have a plan, Zach. Oh man. I just want you to, I just want you to know Cameron from a magic fan to a Laker fan. Mm-hmm. You oh, gotta girl. just, you gotta just not say things like that. I know. I'm I know. just kind of like I'm kidding. The magic have no plan. They're going to clean house. They're going to start <laughs> over yet again. And He's Zach Lowe is going to write all these mean columns about us. A fan of one of the greatest <laughs> sports franchises of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Between like the, between understand. the Lakers and the magic, there's like a 30% chance. One of those teams is getting Lonzo ball. So there's at least that. to hope for. <laughs> there go. That is true. Uh, so th- what job are you going to do in the future that a robot can never do? Now, Jesse, uh, before we answer these, I actually have some robot news. This is a li- oh. literal thing. Thing from today in yes. the office, we <laughs> we uh, we're making some changes, uh, reorganizing a little bit. We're moving offices, as you know, in the oh, next know. you know month and a half or two months. And and as part of that, I've been working with the team on setting up our new kind of tech infrastructure and our all the all the digital things to keep us communicating and yeah. and transparency and aware of what's going on and TVs and video conferencing and just simplifying and reimagining our scalable future okay no i get it okay. apple tvs everywhere or or something other than that. Robots. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We're we're kicking yeah. the tires on constant all the t- streaming of propaganda's music Done. so that my Spotify numbers go up. I mean, it's you really and Taylor Gray. You and Taylor Gray. There's, there's, there's going to be Pepsi machines in all the meeting rooms just in case things get a little heated. <laughs> well, no, no, that one special room where you take people when for conflict resolution mm-hmm. and like maybe firings and stuff. Yeah. there'll be a Pepsi machine in there. Well, listen, yeah. things just, just aren't working out. You'll land on your feet. I know you're upset, but listen. I slide the Pepsi can across the table to him. Right. Just look him dread in the eye and just slide him the so, can. So this morning, so this morning we're in this, you know, yet another meeting. We're actually yeah. looking at new phone and VoIP systems and video conferencing uh, things. That's a whole thing. And, and really one of the key things is Jesse is number two at the company. He's one of our core leaders and he's in another state. We need to make sure our tech is easy to use and on point and he can collaborate with everybody easily. Right. And literally came across while we were looking at some tech solutions, a robot on wheels with a little iPad face Perfect. that Jesse can control. No. He, can tilt, <laughs> he can tilt it up and down and move it and no look to way. the left and right. This is like the Arrested Development guy. Yes, but it's hold on. That's what I told Cameron so, on so Slack. Somebody, I was like, it's a robot surrogate. So somebody mentioned it, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, Segways are like five thousand dollars, so I'm not going to pay. Like that's just stupid money, right? I'm not going to do that. And they sent me a link, and this robot, which has wheels, it can be remote controlled and the head is an iPad is $699. That is like a computer. Oh, it wow. is. And my face will be on the around. iPad and I want to dress him, Cameron. I didn't tell it, but I want to have little robot clothes. Dude, 
Jesse's like, oh, hey, where's Jesse? I'm looking for him. Oh, he's in a meeting with Amy. And I walk in there and just talk to him for a minute. And like, he like rolls over to my desk or like yeah. he's in here at the podcast with his, his little head and sitting over there with the mic. I want to get little jeans, like a t-shirt, little vans and just and like literally I want people to forget it's not me eventually. It, it looks kind of like a Roomba on the base with like a, you know, a pole. It's all white and looks all dot commy. And there's a pole and there's a little iPad at the top and it's totally remote controlled and it can go anywhere. And the amazing. good thing about our new spaces it's wide open no walls we're doing very open so he kind of meander all over the office and I talk want to people. people to take me to lunch with him and stuff <laughs> <laughs> hey guys we're out of scooting the camera's office hey man where do you want to go today how, how long oh in- my gosh your robot's gonna be like the most annoying guy in the office right now <laughs> well the thing is, is like what are you guys views- doing the, the, hey. the, the reviews were like how quiet it is. Like, like the, pr- the only problem with it is it's so quiet that employees could walk around the corner and not know that it's there and like bump into it. Right. And I'm just thinking like all of a sudden you're just working. You're just over there working. You just feel like you're being watched. And over your shoulder, you hear the, the, the screen get tilted just slightly. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then like you look to your left and there's Jesse's face looking over your shoulder. That's what's going to happen. I, I'm going to roll in here and off oh, be like, hey God. man, did uh, you still got an extra ticket for the magic game tonight? <laughs> <laughs> and then I go with you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, literally, yeah. That, that would be That'd the be saddest thing. Dude, I for real am, I'm going, it is a line item in our tech budget for the move. Like oh, I'm trying it. to preserve it. it. Now, if I have to start chopping, <laughs> it's on the chopping block, but right now it's but in it, the working budget. That's hilarious. I was going to say, and I would hope it's like midway. It's not, I'm not saying it should be at the top of the list, but it's not at the bottom. No, it's, it's, not like, it's above the Pepsi machine. But it's above the Pepsi machine. Below the phones. Above, yeah. quote, unquote, wait, 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 Aaron's new working machine? computer. We, he'll be fine. Uh, yeah, just uh, get the robot. This is, yeah. this is a really amazing idea. I don't even clearly want to you don't value conflict resolution if you put the thing above. No, no, no. Jesse will be in there. He'll be the conflict resolution. Oh yeah, yeah. so you could get it I'll sponsored be, yeah, by yeah. Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Pepsi Why don't you dress it. it in Pepsi? <laughs> right. Or make me give me like over the years we can <laughs> we can get upgrades for it, like a little Pepsi dispenser or something. Yeah, that's true. Because like back, like the robots from like the eighties, they would like bring uh. you. They would like bring you drinks and stuff from your fridge. It's about all they could do, you know, like mm-hmm. the little toy robots. We could just kind of combine the two. You yeah, know, I'm, just glad like, that, I'm glad robotics like industry abandoned trying to make them look like humans. Yeah, and just was like, that's ridiculous. We can't do this. Yeah, here's just, a poll with the iPad. If you want to Google the, the visual, it's called the Padbot UI Telepresence Robot. Cameron, if I were willing to throw in some of my own money, would I be willing to give myself the power of flight by attaching a drone to this? So if like things get really heated, I'm like, guys, I just need a minute. I literally just fly away from (laughs) (laughs) where Jesse. I always say flight over town. We'll be in the heart of downtown. You can just, you know, take. Yeah, I'm really, you know, we got a lot of options for these new cover lines. I just need to really clear the head. I'm going for a short flight. I'm going to. I'll be this, this is this why is, for this every other insane. employee this was a great idea but Jesse is not it's not like oh good I'll be able to attend that I meeting fly down I there just to, to modify into. it one day right? Right. I spent a whole he day just, modifying it with cool laser pointers and drones I also want you to know that every time I see Jesse I'm just gonna push him over so that the next person that walks by is like it's just Jesse going like hey 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 guys 
Hey, can somebody <laughs> tilt me up over here? Hey, hey, Eddie's locked me in a bathroom stall, and the one thing this robot can't do, it doesn't have a uh, thumb, so I'm really stuck in here. I will, I, I will never ever not do that. So, well, it, worth every penny. I'm Isn't on amazing? board. Yeah, it's. We're, I'm working from the stall again today. Thanks a lot, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you guys would have given me the power of flight, this wouldn't have been a problem. Oh man, there you go. Okay, so what? Uh, question of the league. What are the jobs that you're going to do for your future because like if the robots take all of our jobs in the next 10 years you still got to make some money and support your family so these are things you need to be working on now preparing yourself for the inevitable robot future so what are the careers that you're going to try and do that robots can't uh, i would like to say that i believe that jeremy copeland our friend has found kind of a kind of a flap in the universe and may have given us the perfect answer i believe that was the island from lost the flap in the universe. <laughs> That's right. Jeremy <laughs> Copeland said, robot impersonator. By definition, it can't be done by a robot. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, there's a huge Buy job pack. market for that too. So good job, Andrew. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it, Jeremy. I was on ZipRecruiter. They're just they're, there's a whole category for robot impersonators. <laughs> well, in the future, the be. robot was like eat your eat your. So you're a robot you're the Don Rickles of robot impersonators. Yeah. You really just you know, right? that was actually really mean in robot. What you just said it was very racist, that's like so, Don Rickles yeah. level racist. Yeah. Uh, Brian said, my current job is fire sprinkler systems, (laughs) fire sprinkler system salesman. It is too boring for even robots to want to take the job. Oh, so he's, he's, he's a robot future proof by having a super boring job. Some of these things I'm actually saying, I could actually see robots doing like Mitchell that said robot repair. I could totally see that automized. Of course it would be. Yeah. You think in the Wall-E spaceship, yeah, there's humans fixing the machines? No way. It's robots no. fixing the machines. Fix themselves. Yeah. That's how they... Also, not... Again, I feel like... A, oh, robot assassin. That's... I mean, that could totally happen. But someone has to be in charge for taking out the... Oh, so, you know, you're an assassin of robots. It's not a, 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 an assassin right. that is a robot. Yeah. Because that's very possible. Yeah, but that's also a job that could be taken over by robots. To assassinate other robots. Right. Yeah, it's like how well, did well, this, this is just get, in case the yeah. robots are getting out of control. Well, like Terminator was a robot assassin. Yeah, yeah but he, he was, was a robot robot assassin. Robot assassin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're right. Derek Cormel wrote, uh, "I work for Young Life, and no robot is going to want the pay that they pay us to do what we do." So I thought when I started reading the sentence, I thought, "Oh, Derek, yeah, that's sweet because you're like a ministry, like meeting kids where they're at and connecting with kids." Nope, he just doesn't get paid enough right now, mm-hmm. and he d- he thinks you wouldn't ro- be able to maintain the robot for what they pay me, right? Yeah. But like, you don't yeah. even have to pay robots because they just make their own money. But I don't know. There's a lot of flaws in the logic, Derek. But I also think no one could take your job. You're doing a good job with Young Life. That is true. The job of love, <laughs> of love. P- PC Walker. Uh, this isn't about the robot. He already thing, is. But a, it's he already is a robot. Address. His name is PC. Hi <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe he's yeah, a walking this is a robot sending me. Literally, really he's a walking content. PC. That is by definition a robot. PC Walker. <laughs> His name Bro, is you just need to very do some ancestry look, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna do go some ancestry and... work, PC. They, there might be a goose egg like or an Easter egg hidden in your name, bro. <laughs> <laughs> there is one person. His name is be, the future robots. naming conventions for these robots will be PC Walker, PC Roller, uh, PC Stationary, and uh, and Mac. Ian Mac. <laughs> yeah, it's like the old, it's like the medieval days when you were like hat maker or, or Miller yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah, blacksmith. Uh, 
Okay, so PC Walker posted a piece of, piece of feedback. They didn't have anything to do with the question, but it was so great. I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, <laughs> for people that voted in our Oscars.biz Awards uh, a few weeks ago, they will remember one of the Vine videos that was featured in the RIP tribute Vine uh, category was a short video clip of a pastor at a funeral releasing a dove high into the air. Mm. Uh, but it at some point upon the release... Uh, died and <laughs> fell dramatically to the ground at best, the funeral. Best vine of all time. Of all yeah. time. PC Walker posted a link to another video, which I just clicked on, and it's now disabled, but I watched this video in another form earlier today. So it does exist out there. So I will, we'll find it and try to update the podcast page. It is of another funeral where doves yes. are being released, uh, but uh, the, the funeral is taking place right near like an interstate, like feet away, you know? So the, the, a couple doves are releasing, spoiler alert, Two of the dubs fly directly into oncoming traffic <laughs> and are hit by a very fat. It's probably Mr. T's van. It flew by the screen. Yeah. Literally, all you see is a poof of white feathers <laughs> and an audible gasp over the funeral. And again, uh, just screaming. That was probably the funniest part to me was everybody's responses. So thanks, PC War. Yeah, the video's on YouTube. Uh, we did not need that. The, the video title is White Dove at Funeral Gets Hit by Truck. Pretty so. on the nose, but, you know, they're not worried <laughs> about marketing. They're just trying to get views. Good SEO there. All right. Uh, that'll do it for last week's feedback. It's time for this week's. Editorial question of the week. Okay, let me see if I can get phrase this right. So we learned this week that Pepsi set out to solve, I think, racism. And I would say <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> So we Nailed think that's it. what they were Next. going for, but you know, uh, <laughs> we think that's what they're going for. So we figured we would help these marketing and PR companies with other possible commercial ideas uh, yeah. that they could pitch to brands. Um, right. So what we want from you is some ideas. Let's crowdsource this thing. Uh, if we learned anything from, from the Brits, crowdsourcing is the best way to go. <laughs> so yeah. we want to know a product and the problem that that product would unexpectedly solve. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Folgers crystals would solve uh, gender inequality. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, and, 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 it's so funny. How are you reading my mind? The logical, like crazy. The logical <laughs> question would be: How does Folgers solve gender yeah. inequality? So you need to tell us that too. So yeah, totally. this is a chance for How listeners to really flex their creative muscles here, because a couple of these good well, jokes and are social here, right? justice How muscles. The commercial man. would play out. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So brand <laughs> problem that it's going to try and solve, right. and this is this how is it's going to solve it in the commercial. I I love this because. Somebody said right before when we were thinking of the question, you know, what could go wrong? <laughs> here, here we go. Uh, no quoting Don Rickles. That's all we ask uh, through the entire submission process. I would say yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast. You might not want to put that on Twitter. Uh, you can post your comments on the podcast episode page uh, at relevantmagazine.com, and we will try to read our favorites on the show next week. That's going to be fascinating. Oh, man. Either it's going to be great or completely terrible, or nobody's going to answer this at all. Like, nobody's yeah. going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I really yeah. don't know. There's no in-between. It's, it's either great, horrible, or silent. I, but we're going to discover, yeah, some, like, real marketing geniuses out there. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hear yeah. there's an opening at Pepsi's firm, so. <laughs> uh, clearly. They got a bunch of openings. <laughs> well, many thanks to our show sponsors for making this episode possible. Remember, you can go to HelloFresh.com and enter promo code relevant. 30 when you subscribe to get 30 bucks off your first week of deliveries. I am very excited about my 
evening tonight because I'm going to make a HelloFresh box. Uh, if you're looking to hire great qualified candidates, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash relevant to try their service for free and post your openings to over 200 job sites. Thanks also to our guests for joining us. Uh, make sure to check out N.T. Wright's new book, The Day the Revolution Began, and I would say read it this weekend. Also, thanks to Drew Holcomb for joining us. Uh, the Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors new album, Souvenir, is out now. Go check it out. And thanks also to Kristen Wright for joining us. Go to opendoorusa.org to learn more about what they are doing. Hey, uh, while you're on the internet, head over to relevantmagazine.com. You can check out the new website, the new design. Every week, we keep adding features and improvements to it. Um, and also, while you're there, subscribe to the magazine. The redesign is out now. The second issue of the redesign is at the printer, and it has that uh, Damon Lindelof uh, interview that we were telling you about. You yeah. won't want to miss that Can't if wait. you want to know what, what the deal was with the smoke monster. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to this new uh, this new issue preview coming in the coming weeks because this is a fun issue with lots of interesting stuff like that to talk about. Yep. And a very unexpected cover. Very unexpected. Yeah. I haven't even yeah. seen it. Usually it's right up there. And I yeah, I know. I hide it. Because you always leak it. You always tweet stuff. <laughs> I do? It's like the documentary, the Suge Knight documentary. I mean, it's like it, it, some guys oh, are yeah. leaking stuff. No, I understand what you mean. <laughs> I, I, take the, I take the cover down. Mm-hmm. But I am curious. <laughs> Can you give us a little hint? It says, it says the future is here and it's the robot on a stick with wheels guy. Yeah. With, Once, with Jesse's face on an iPad. Yeah. On yeah. Once again, it's my suggestion incredible. for Grover on the cover has been ignored. Right. One of these years. We're going to stick with humans for now. Or Jesse's the future is here robot. Or, or my, my hybrid robot man. Yes. <laughs> that you put jeans on for some reason. <laughs> See, it's, it's only one leg jean though. Because he only got, he's just like a pole. A so it's like a skinny, skinny, skinny jeans. It's a pair of pants yeah. problem. Right. 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 So, a pair of like just very sensible Lee dungarees on your little robot. Just that he sewed the legs together to make yeah. one. Yeah. One hole. It's almost yeah. like a denim <laughs> skirt. It's really not coming together. Singular. Well. Cameron, I'm just trying to humanize it. I feel like it's going to be unsettling if I'm just wheeling into offices all, yeah. like a robot. I feel like <laughs> if it's wearing human clothes, people will treat it more humanely. Right. And if you like go human places, like it's just one day you walk in and it's rolling out of the kitchen, you're like, what in the the meeting the meeting Why would that you I was been in there? you hear a toilet flush and you see me my robot roll out. <laughs> I, got, I want people to be very comfortable with this. What stuff. on God's green earth was he doing? The, me, the meeting that I was in where I found this, Jesse wasn't part of that meeting, but I was really talking to to a couple of people and and they're like, No, look, it says it's super silent. It's gonna freak everybody out. And I was like, We just put like little jingle bells on it or a little cowbell or something. Yeah. You hear Jesse like jingle, tingle, tingle, tingle coming down the hallway. It's just, right. It's a little Jesse Prius. You gotta figure out something. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'm almost positive you putting pants on that robot is not in any way going to humanize it. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't want people to think about it as a robot. I want to think of it as a little version of me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Or, you know what, Cameron? Maybe I can get a broomstick and just make him a little tall, make him my height. You know, I can extend it. Does it have an extender pole? No, because that it, way, it's just a very skinny, limbless version of me. That's how I want to do it. <laughs> Actually, I have one leg. I have one long, skinny leg. That's how I want you to think of this robot. Oh, I want no. it to be exactly like I'm there, except right. for some reason, both arms are gone. And I have one. But one leg in a roller skate. And you're just there. And I'm on a roller skate. But I love and much shorter. that at night, like, like he's going to come in in the morning and fire things. Things up on his end, and everybody that interacts with him is just going to be laughing, and he doesn't understand why. <laughs> so he has to like he has to roll in and look at a mirror 
<laughs> yeah, he has to roll in, look in a mirror, and look at the fact that people have colored all over his little. Right. The, the yeah, next someone step, drew a mustache on me, and I wanted to. <laughs> Very they funny guy. They didn't draw it on. It's one of those mustache stickers that you can do. Put it right on the screen. No, this is uh, the next step. Would be that Jesse, you are wearing virtual reality goggles on your end, and mm-hmm. this this thing's camera is your entire you know interaction with the world. It would make it weird when you have to sit down at the computer and work. Because yeah. you would be, I'd be very you know. unproductive. <laughs> Most <laughs> but, of my day would be spent wheeling around, scaring people. But, but you, uh, sh- you should get him a little fake computer station just so people can generally see, like, okay, Jesse's doing emails right now. I'll leave him alone. Oh, so he like his docking charger thing could be at a little desk. So Jesse, when I he's just like VPN, off- you could see what's happening on the screen. It would literally be like I'm there. No, well, yeah, when Jesse's like, yeah, exactly. I actually like that idea. That put his dock at a desk and a little <laughs> monitor and stuff. I like it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Prop. There we go. <laughs> All right, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron String. I'm Eddie Koffoltz. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Propaganda. We'll see you next week. listening to the relevant podcast connect with us on twitter at relevant podcast and get bonus material from this episode and more at the podcast section on relevantmagazine.com. and don't forget to check the magazine out it's available on newsstands and at the itunes app store or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe Does it have an extender pole? Because that way, it's just a very skinny, limbless version of me. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.